everyone, and welcome to episode 686 of Long Box Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd, along with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? I'm doing good. Uh, it's going to be a short show for real this week, I think. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I have a question for you, because it was brought to my attention recently uh-huh. by our good buddy DJ. I'm going to stooge him off and say, uh, I heard you were eating some buffalo chicken pizza lately. Yes! Uh, so... I have been attempting to uh, expand my palate. You think we would have talked about this on After Dark? That's the food show, but I was told uh, to bring it up. But we had a jam packed <laughs> After Dark, so <laughs> we did. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we were up the house for the AEW pay per view, uh, the Challenger yes. brand, if you will. And uh, I decided they had like regular, like plain pizza, pepperoni pizza, which you know in some places is also called plain pizza which doesn't make any sense and they had the buffalo chicken pizza and i opened up the box and i looked at it it looked very appetizing and i'm like oh i'll try a piece of this and it was delightful uh it wasn't uh too spicy for my uh delicate sensibilities you know right because he said he's like oh i got uh i got uh i I got uh buffalo chicken pizza but i know you and i got uh regular plain pizza as well and i got the delicacy pizza with pepperoni which i knew you wouldn't touch but uh i just i was i was a shocked and aghast i couldn't close my mouth like they kept having to push my chin up because i was like so just gate mouthed trying to figure out how how you would eat buffalo chicken pizza shocked me joe shocking Listen, forty-six years old decided let's try uh, spicy food now. All of a sudden, right? Right. Who knows what's next for Joe on, on the horizon? You know? Yeah. The, a lot of the barbecue sauces that I that I enjoy have a little bit more of a kick to them than you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to the new uh, chain ramen place that's up in the area here. Right. Right. And uh, I they, they it, it, listen, it, you know, it's a ramen place. It is what it is. Twenty two bucks gets you like the bowl of ramen and an appetizer. And I had gotten like the soy garlic wings that they had. Mm-hmm. And they came over and, you know, presentation, whatever. And my wife tries the sauce because she's a vegetarian. She don't eat meat. And she's like, oh, I don't know if you're going to like that. That spice, that sauce. Spicy. And she loves spicy stuff. So for her to say. It was spicy. I'm like, oh no, what did I get myself into? And I ate them, and they were delightful. I, I, I'm glad, Joe. I'm really glad. Now, if we could just get you to change your stance on cheese on meat, mm. would be really good because I had a baconator pretzel baconator today. Mm-hmm. And uh, you want my uh, review? It was I. Right. <laughs> We are in the golden age of pretzel buns, I hear. It was probably one of the lesser quality pretzel buns I've ever had. Yes. My local uh, grocery store makes their own pretzel buns, and those are to die for. So anything other than that is just you know subpar. So it was a Baconator, if you've ever had a Baconator. I've- um, and they had your choice of one patty, two patty, three patty. I went one patty because I'm like, I, I'm not made of money. Um, and I had it and I was like, when I was done, I was like, all right, I'm burping up hamburger, but I'm not burping up pretzel roll. So I felt, I felt like it was a loss, you know? Yeah. I know I had my wife check uh, at the grocery store this week, but she was there late. And I would assume that if you want the good pretzel buns, you got to be there first thing in the morning, you know, when they bring them out of the oven. Right. Um, what was I going to say though? Do you get mayo on your burger? Uh, depends. Depends. If it's got bacon, no. All right. Um, but if I have a plain burger, 
I love a mix of ketchup and mayo. Oh my god, it's so good. Now I, I and again, I'm not a mayo person. I'm a big mayo person, but go ahead. But I like I go to like the mayo clinic just because I like the name. But go ahead. I've been getting you go to these, you know, a little bit more fancier of a place, mm-hmm. and they give you know the fan you know the fancy name for mayo, right? Uh it's uh, Miracle Whip, right? No, <laughs> no. What is it? Uh, aioli. Mm, no, I've never heard, I've, I've heard that, but I always thought that was a part of anatomy. But anyway, go ahead. No, but that's areola, but you're close. <laughs> right. Wrong uh, show. <laughs> I could say medical terms for stuff like this. Fair enough. Um, so we um, will go somewhere and they'll have like a garlic onion aioli or like a teriyaki aioli. And essentially all it is, it's a lighter mayonnaise. It's not as thick consistency. Right. With like infused with whatever that extra flavor is. And that's how they just say it's like it's garlic mayonnaise. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I like garlic. I like onion. I like all these other things. I'm like, let's go crazy. And let's try the like the sauce that I would never touch in a million years. Um, but you mentioned about cheese in a sandwich or in a burger or something. Um, there was a while ago and mentioned on the show because it was a very shameful moment. Um, we went somewhere. My kid got a cheeseburger. He he couldn't eat the whole thing. And I'm sitting there looking at it. And it's like three bites left. Right. Right. And I hate food going to waste. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm not going to bring I'm not going to get a to go box for a three bites left hamburger cheeseburger in this instance. Did you so scrape like, the cheese off on the table? No, I just, just ate like, it. OK, I was going to say just ate it. Because that would be more shameful than eating. And you loved it, right? It was good. It was all right. It was fine. It was was so all right. So it was good. Um, Who knows? Who knows where you'll go next, Joe? Right. Well, I know where we're going to go. We're going to go to find out what's on the show this week. Uh, Right. Uh, We have a jam-packed show. Uh, We have no news. No Rob Watch. Um, Conventions, yes. Oh, good. Right. And the latest edition of my walk down Lois Lane uh, by our good friend Becky. We'll have that. Um, What we read last week, which was Batman off world numero uno and Superman eight. What we're looking forward to this week. Um, Todd and Joe have issues where we reread Neil Gaiman's Sandman in its entirety. And we're coming to like the the home stretch. And we'll be doing issues one and two of Sandman, the Dream Hunters. And finally, at the end of the show, Joe's favorite part, we're going to have spoiler-filled talk of the first of three episodes for the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who. And I know you have notes, Joe, because we discussed it on on X, your favorite social uh, (laughs) platform. Yes, on X. Mm-hmm. <sighs> There's no edict from anyone at the network that says you have to call it X. You could just call it generic social media. I don't know. I think you're supposed to use the names that they want to be used. I I learned that when they ban you or suspend your account, they still call it Twitter. So if they still call it Twitter in their internal memos, I'm still calling it Twitter. Write that down and I'll tell you my counterpoint to that after we're off the show. When I type in twitter.com mm-hmm. onto my uh, onto my browser, the preferred way to mm-hmm. access social media, it doesn't redirect me to x.com. It lets me stay on twitter.com. Sure, sure. Okay. Uh, but as Todd mentioned, there's no news. There's no Rob Watch. His podcast is on hiatus. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's conventions this weekend. 
right? Right. Uh, there is the L.A. Comic Con in Los Angeles, California. Is it uh, at night? <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, do I got to put the thing in there now? Yeah, I'm probably going to have to. Um, but they have, you know, you more comic book folks, uh, which is what I always like to see. A nice mix of things. Uh, Scotty Young, Ryan Stegman, Ryan Otley, Jason Aaron, Dan Slott, Chip Zdarsky, Jeremy Adams, friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the media guest side, the only one that really jumped out to me was uh, Matt Smith. Oh, one of the doctors, your favorites. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's not the one that was in what we watched this week, right? No, he was the guy who was both after and before him. So you'd be you'd be surprised. I kind of get like British dudes all confused, right? Right. Unless they're a real man's man, then you're all over it. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the bigger convention this weekend is actually GalaxyCon in Columbus, Ohio. Um, you know, you got comic book type folks there, uh, Ron Morris, Dan Didio, Simon Bisley, and Nascenti, uh, Yannick Paquette, who I always mispronounce his name, D.G. Chichester, uh, Robert Venditti, Jim Shooter, Dan Jurgen, Scott Collins, a, a, a plethora of folks, right? Mm-hmm. Then on the media guest side, you got your old standbys. You got William Shatner. You got Grant Gustin. You got from the Daredevil show Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio. You got the star of Rocky Horror Picture Show and Megaforce, Barry Bostwick. But then you start, when I see the names pop up that either don't see very often or you never see show up at conventions, right? Mm-hmm. It, it always sends up like a red flag. And I'm like, oh, that's an interesting... Uh, lineup here because mike tyson's gonna be there i've seen mike tyson's name show up at conventions before right 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 pete rose is gonna be there world wrestling entertainment hall of famer right probably didn't hit the trifecta this week so he needs money (laughs) and again he's done baseball card shows right why not a comic book convention sure that's right there's probably a pete rose comic out there somewhere he'd sign Charlie Hustle is a guy, you know, I'm sure there's going to be at least two photos floating around this weekend of somebody who went to the convention dressed as Kane, who posed for a picture with Pete Rose. Oh, that'd be awesome. And also, there's probably a bunch of figures, you know, Pete Rose figures. Starting that, you know, lineups. And, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So. And then Paula Abdul is going to be there as well. Now, if I could sign up for the Paula Abdul MC Scat Cat dual picture op. I'd be all over this. But sadly, I don't think MC Scat Cat going to be there. Uh, they would be foolish not to have, at the very least, an 8x10 that she could sign mm-hmm. of the two of them together. Or at the very least, like a cardboard standee. Where, oh, like, yeah. You, you, could, you could stand next to. You can get the Mark picture with Paula Abdul. Or for an extra 10 bucks, you can get your picture taken with Paula Abdul and MC Scat Cat. If they don't do that, then these cons are two steps forward, three steps back, Joe. I need to start managing these talent going out to conventions, making them money. Yes, I'm going to invest eight grand to have a mock-up made of the cycle from Megaforce. Um, I would cover half of that. But I'd make that eight grand back in one weekend for photo ops. Yep, yep. And then the rest of the year is gravy. Now you got storage and you've got transporting it. A lot of other things that I really haven't thought about yet. 
I'll drive it from show to show in a Mega Force outfit, skin tight. Awesome. That's for somebody else in the organization to worry about, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're going to the club, I got friends in the, the Midwest area. If you're going to the Columbus uh, Galaxy Con this weekend, ask the Paul Abdul people where MC Scat Cat is. Ask Barry Bostwick where the Mega Force Cycle is. And then when they throw you out of the convention, don't mention our name. That's right. Uh, but the links to these conventions, of course, will be in the show notes. Uh, along with information about the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com. Anytime any of the shows go live, you can certainly find them at their own individual sites or through the podcatcher of your choice, or you can find them in the one-stop shop, which is soon-to-be-named-network.com. You can also find all of our other friends and the stuff that they're doing around the internet, such as Mike Sterling, of the blog progressiveruin.com. He's been posting up a lot of uh, 80s stuff, 90s stuff lately, a lot of the history of the failure that was the uh, Howard the Duck movie, which right off our Patreon from last month, or two months ago, was it? Two months ago. Timeless. Uh, our friend Kevin's blog over at hellionsteam.com, uh, Rick Williams, the chop shop at free karate chops store uh, Jason Sandberg's Jupiter is still available at his Indiegogo. I think you can still get that a la carte. Does he have the tally still running of how many he's sold? Um, yes, uh, he's nearing uh, $9,000 sold of that. And uh, if you already have it, make sure you're signed up for the mailing list when issue two comes out. They, uh, you know, usually notify of those sort of things. Uh, Chris Runt of FortressOfComicNews.com. You can go purchase his self-published comic battle monsters over there. And uh, our good friend Davey of the band Cave People. Uh, he got a new tattoo this weekend, I saw. Yep. He's known for them, Joe. World famous, some would say. He has two self-published comics, Mending and Keeper, that you could pick up at cavedomaincomics.com. And of course, if you do not have a comic book store in your area, or you do not have a good comic book store in your area, let our store be your store. Comics on the Green. I have the Facebook page linked up there. Dave and the gang will let you know whenever the new releases come in. That's on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. If there's going to be any snow delays, uh, we are in the Northeast and it is that time of season. Uh, and also when the final order cutoff dates are going to be for some of the new hot books that are coming out so you don't miss out on them. Uh, also, you can sign up for their subscription service. Uh, get your books mailed to you weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly. Uh, like I said, if you don't have a shop in your area, you can definitely check that out. And uh, if you're getting stuff sent to you from the comic book store, there's a chance you're going to get a sketch on that package from the next person you're about to hear. And that's our good friend Becky, as it's time for my walk down Lois Lane. Welcome back to my walk down Lois Lane. This week we're going to revisit issue number 59 from 1965. That is the one where Lois is catching hands on the front cover from Lara. So the first story is just as good, so I'm going to cover that, so let's dive in. It starts with Lois preventing a rooftop sniper from taking out half of Metropolis, and as he turns the gun on her, Superman shows up. As Lois is thanking him, he starts yelling at her, Stop getting into trouble so much. I spend so much time saving you when I could be performing urgent missions. I have a whole universe to protect and flies away. 
As Lois is crying that Superman finds her annoying and a pest, an alien spaceship shows up. Inside is a girl named Glaria and a scientist from the planet Gosmere. Everyone is happy there. She sees Lois's attempts to constantly marry Superman and she'd like to do her a solid. She takes her to see a scientist who gives her a potion that will make her invulnerable. He tells her that she will be completely free from harm, but she must drink a glass of milk a day or else she will have some severe side effects. She tells him thank you and goes on her merry way. She calls Superman with Jimmy Olsen's emergency watch, and as he flies down, she blows up an entire mountain and gets crushed by the rubble. When Clark frees her, she tells him that, look, I'm invulnerable now. Now we can get married, to which he replies, and I quote, eh, I'll think about it. She has her glass of milk that night and celebrates the fact that soon she will be married to Superman. She goes about her day, getting hit by signs, getting shot by bank robbers, Nothing happens to her, and she thinks, this is great. Superman is going to see that he doesn't have to worry about me anymore. We will be wed. And she falls asleep that night without taking her glass of milk. She wakes up the next morning, and as she's having breakfast, she sees Superman on the news. A reporter eagerly asks Superman when he's getting married, to which Superman replies, Never. I am never getting married, because my wife will come to harm. Lois is immediately outraged, as I would be too, and decides, you know what? If I can't have you, nobody's having you. She goes and sees Superman and Lana Lang and covers a news story where Superman has a bunch of weapons and inside is, is a Kryptonian gun. And he tells the girls, please don't come and open this box around me. This gun will kill me. Lois has a brilliant idea. She steals the gun. She dresses herself up to look exactly like Lana Lang, goes out in public and shoots Superman in the street with the gun as the crowd yells, it's Lana Lang. She's gone nuts. She's murdering Superman. She has Lana arrested. Lois takes the stand against Lana, cries and says she can't believe that Lana would even dream of the concept of killing Superman. Who does that kind of thing? And Lana gets the death sentence. Lois laughs to herself maniacally because she has committed the perfect crime, but she can't tell anyone else about it. The next day, she's having lunch with her sister Lucy when she has a glass of milk. All of a sudden, she snaps back and realizes that she went insane yesterday, committed a murder, got a woman framed, and decide that she's going to try to correct the problem. She goes and she tells the police what happened, and the cops tell her, yeah, right, sure, honey, to which she tells them to shoot her with a gun. She will be invulnerable. They shoot her, but then they tell her, eh, the crime's already been solved. Lana's already been put to death. Don't worry about it. Lois, now distraught that she has killed her rival and her boyfriend, suddenly has a dizzy spell and wakes up. As she wakes up, she finds out she's in a tube, still back on the alien ship in Gosmere. She tells the scientist, and now Gloria, that she can no longer accept this invulnerability potion because it made her go crazy in her dream, and she doesn't want to risk doing that in real life. She then asks for an antidote, takes it, and goes about her merry way. Was this possibly an ad for Big Milk? Maybe? I prefer this over the Got Milk ad. So, <laughs> tune in next week for more shenanigans of Love Flame. You know, I always forget those books. And I don't mean just the lowest lanes. I just mean everything from that era. There would be two, three, sometimes four stories yeah. in a 40-page comic book. And you would just be able to read that all the time, you know? Yeah, and you would be able to read it, like, read it over and over. But, Joe, back then, 
kids traded comics. They didn't put them in bags and boards. Mm-hmm. They uh, rolled them up and put them in their back pocket. So it was a different time. I we went to go get the kids' haircut this weekend, right? Mm-hmm. Not all of them, just one. Yeah, just a couple of them trimmed, right? Mm-hmm. He wants to have a nice long, shaggy, mopped up hairdo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where we went to, the guy, you know, talking comics, the guy's cutting his hair, and he goes, "Oh yeah, my girlfriend gave me these bins." I took him up to Dave, and Dave was like, eh, "You know, you're, hand- you're handing me two like Tupperware things full of unsorted comics, right?" Mm-hmm. So he's like, "Oh, what do you have a look through them, right?" Now, listen, they're old comics, okay? They're from the late '50s and early '60s, so they're not in the best shape, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm just thumbing through it. I'm like, here's first appearance of Batgirl. <laughs> His first appearance of Poison Ivy. Wow. I forgot you have to edit the show, but go ahead. Here's the first appearance of the Scarecrow. Mm-hmm. Here's the first appearance of the Rogues as a collective group. That that famous cover, you know the one I'm talking about? Yep, yep. Okay. And they're just in this bin, right? And I go, okay, I go, stuff's out of order. I go, go back in with these on top. <laughs> Well, I go, take these out and put them somewhere, right? I go, whatever condition they're in, I go, these are key, noteworthy books, okay? Mm -hmm. I go, take an hour, take two hours, sit down, sort out all the detective comics, all the Lois Lanes, all the Flash, all the Justice. Like, it's mostly DC stuff. And the guy's like, I don't know nothing about no DC stuff. I'm like, well, listen, with what you have here, Maybe you might want to learn about some DC stuff, right? Or you could put it in my trunk of my car when you're done cutting my kid's hair. <laughs> well, and again, I don't want to get too much further down the rabbit hole of this. But um, if I had time in my life, I do have a standing offer to go over there and sort everything out. Which is my fate. I love like the oh. only thing I love more than reading comics is sorting and organizing comics. Okay. One thing, when you go over, what area is this in? The, 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 uh, the it's by me. It's by me. Okay, I can come down, get a donut. We're good. We're good. I'll come down and help you. I'll come <laughs> down and help you. Because I love sorting comics. You know who I want to choke sometimes? Your other co-host over at Ad, Ad Odds? You there don't was need a time. a reason why, but go ahead. Right, okay. There's a time, like when I used to go to his house, both houses, the one that burned and the one that didn't, um... And I would help him, like, sort comics. And I absolutely loved it. All I ever said was, as long as it's not 800 degrees in your house, yeah, I'll do it. So we would do it in the winter when it was, you know, colder and you're moving around and, you know, you, you don't have to worry about it. And I would have a blast. And he would get, like, fed up with it after a while. I'd be like, I'm done. We're done. And I'm like, we're not even close. Like, we could bang all this out. And I guess he wanted to go, I don't know, watch something else or whatever. But I was like, I'll come back and do this. And it just, no. And he would have chunks of his collection in order because I was helping. And then it was just, okay, we have all the Avengers together and all the Spider-Man together. And I'm like, the fact that your collection is like this and I helped, you know, at least clean it up a little bit, it's still driving me nuts. We should do this. But that offer was like, you know, we haven't done it in forever. Mm-hmm. I, I'm with you. I love sorting comics. Yep. Again, if I do have a free moment, which I don't, um, mm-hmm. I would absolutely go back over there, 
grab those bins, start putting stuff in order, getting an idea of what he had there. Because that's the other thing is, like, if you if you go to Dave's, if you go to any comic book store, and let's be a lesson to you, the listener of the show. If you have a bunch of books that you're trying to get rid of, if they were published after 1990, they're probably not worth anything. Right. But if you go through them and you do a little legwork, you might have, like, a gem or two in there, right? Yep. But if you bring your stacks of 1990, one, two, three, four, five comic books to your local retailer and say, get rid of these for me, he's going to tell you, no, thank you. Yep. But if they're in order, he, he'll be like, all right, now you have a bunch of like you look if you have them in order with number like to first number to last number. It's like, yeah, OK, you have Batman X to X. Oh, well, in there. Was Poison Ivy, was Batgirl, so I have an idea of, you know what I mean, yep. what I'm looking for, yep. and that makes it, like, a ton easier. I'm with you. Get it in order and take it. Or, at least, if you can do uh, a spreadsheet or even just oh. write them down and be like, I have Batman 138, 139, 140, 145, 147, and this is what I have, and you just don't even take the tote. Just send it off. Be like yeah. an email. Here you go. You'll get an answer if there's some good books in there. You want to you go a little bit further. Like when you go through your organization and you know that you have those key issues in there, take a couple pictures of them. Send them in that email. Mm-hmm. And just be like, hey, I got Batman from X to Y. And I know the Scarecrow, the Poison Ivy, the Batgirl are in here. And here's what they look like. Yep. Now is your is this- friend... Is friend worth Bar- your trouble, you know? Yep, yep, yep. Now, can you tell your friend Barber Bob I'm coming over to to rummage through those for you? So uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say he's a friend. He's an acquaintance. He's cut my kid's hair. He's cut my hair like two or three times. Yep. Um, I'm sending a guy, tell him. I'm sending a guy. I think um I think if I if I think if I give you another guy's name to mention, that might get you in the door a little bit uh more firmly than me. Okay, okay. And uh, I'm not going to give that name away on the air, but, uh, you know, it's another good buddy of ours. Okay. Okay. I th- we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. Right. We'll talk, pal. Um, yep. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff. I'm like, old comic books, right? Yep. Uh, so anyway, old comic books, enough. New comic books. Let's get to what we read from this past week. Uh, where would you, Todd, like to begin? Uh, I'm going to start with the book we were both looking forward to most, which was Batman Offworld, uh, written by Jason Aaron, art by Doug Monk, um, or Monkey. I never really knew how to say that. So. I would say Monkey, but okay. Right. Um, so basically, there's like, you know, in a far off spect- a sector of space, uh, a, sh- a derelict ship is there, and these aliens come and they're like, oh, let's take it over we can always use warm bodies for like our slaves and whatever we do like you know for work uh so they they go in and they end up knowing that there's a life reading in there and if eventually it turns out like we figure out that it's batman and i like that uh they've never seen a batman before so like the way he's thinking about him talking to these aliens, like fighting these aliens, he's like, I have no like intel on them. I don't know what to do. I don't know any pressure points or nerve pinches or anything like that. So we'll figure out how it is. And they're like, well, we think it's some sort of flightless bird because he has wings and it can't fly. And it's just like the whole like not knowing who Batman is just blows my mind. So it's an interesting kind of twist. And that eventually Batman gets his hand, his 
Cowell handed to him. And he ends up, you know, with the the rest of the, the derelicts that they've collected. And soon he starts getting information from this one Tamarian, which is uh, like Starfire's peep from the Titans people. And she seems kind of sketchy, but she's, you know, giving him some intel. And he ends up finding out that they have like these fighting robots on the ship that uh, they beat up and learn their, their craft. And he ends up taking one for reasons. Um, and you slowly find out that it's so he can figure out how other aliens fight. And then you find out um, that this whole trip was spurned on by meeting an alien one night uh, in Gotham with this uh, group of criminals. And he didn't know anything about them. So he's like, huh? And from there, like, we kind of learn that he decided to get more intel and it becomes the most Batman-y thing that Batman would do. And I love the fact that I don't like Batman fighting gods. I don't, I like Batman at street level. And the fact that Batman was in space, I'm like, I trust Jason Aaron. Love Doug Monk's art. So I'm going into this. And when they give you the explanation of why Batman is doing what he's doing, it makes total sense. And I am down with everything. And I love this, like, bat out of water story. It's amazing. And I'm having, like, so much fun with, like, a book that I shouldn't because my ideas about Batman go against it. But I had a blast on this uh, first issue. Absolutely great. And I love that his new robot buddy is a bit of a masochist. And now he's getting, (laughs) he's learning how to stand up for himself. Uh, I hope he comes back to earth and is like in the bat cave forever. But uh, what did you think, Joe? (laughs) I touch, I I, I agree with all the sentiments that you made. Uh, It's Jason Aaron, maybe one of my favorite writers of the modern era. Uh, Doug Monkey, one of my favorite artists of all time. Um, you know, going all the way back to Major Bummer, you know, even before that, the mask and stuff like that, to see that he's still kicking at this high of a level in 2023 and 24 now that he's on this prime book. And, you know, I sit here and I think there's so many Batman books and you can't read everything and you got to make that choice, you know. And I went into this. I don't need to read. You know, we, we say this before. There's certain creators. We don't need to read the solicitation. You tell me the name of the book. You tell me the day it comes out and I'm there. And Jason Aaron is, you know, I would say at the top of that list only because his name is his like We do it alphabetically, you know. Right. Um, that being said, I didn't know nothing about this book going in. I'm like, he's Batman's in outer space for some reason, right? He's off world. Right. And I'm like, is this going to be some sort of non-canon sort of thing? And it's not. It's firmly steeped in canon. They like there's lines of dialogue where Batman gives you like the pinpoint accuracy of in his history when and where this happens, right? Mm-hmm. And how he does it with the Wayne Fortune to get the ship and to go do it, and for all the reasons that Todd mentioned. And again, like I said, we could I feel as though there's a book that we could talk about, like the beginning, middle, and end, and it's not like a spoiler, right? Right. Um, the fact that he got beaten up by an alien and he's like, I can never let that happen again. And the Batman is so driven that like, I'm going to make sure that this never happens again. I'm going to find out where that alien came from. I'm going to go to that world and I'm either going to learn how to beat that alien up and, or beat that alien up again. Right. Yep. And I'm going to learn everything I can about every alien along the way. Yes. 
-hmm. Because if there's one out there that beat me in a fight, there might be two out there that could beat me in a fight, you know? Mm -hmm. And this felt like a Batman comic. This felt like a Jason Aaron comic. This didn't feel forced. This didn't feel out of place because sometimes the best writers will come onto a book or a character. You know, we've talked about it before. You know, as big Jason Aaron fans, we didn't love his Avengers. Right. And sometimes a creator just doesn't fit a team book or a creator just doesn't fit a specific character or sometimes a creator just, you know, their idea doesn't work. This doesn't feel like a pastiche of something that Jason Aaron has done before, but it absolutely feels like a Jason Aaron book. It fits into the continuity. There's, you know, there's action, there's suspense. It's the alien stuff. Doug Monkey's art is amazing in this. Mm-hmm. And there's humor in the book, right? Mm-hmm. There's laughs to be had. This book is great. It is. It is one of my favorite. It, like just right out of the gate, one of my favorite books. And I'm with you on all that. Uh, and like it l- l- laughs, like you said. And I love the fact that when they explain why they would let Batman keep his costume. It's just, it's like everything makes, like when you're reading a comic and everything, it doesn't have to have like, you know, makes like super sense because it's a man who dresses like a bat in space fighting aliens. But it's like, at least there's a, a hint and or more of logic to every decision or thing that's in the book. And it makes it all that more cool because it's like, oh, well, you, you know, Batman still has his costume when everybody else is like ripped of their clothes and it's like no they explain why and I'm like this is just you know perfect all around so highly recommended um you know I know Jason Aaron has a Superman story that he's going to be telling after this uh I don't know how long Chip Zdarsky is going to be on Batman it seems like it's going to be for a while but uh I don't know is this Jason Aaron's pitch to take over the Batman book I think he's going to be a, like a. I think he's going to do everything he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Rotating creator. Yep. Uh, so the other book uh, that we're going to discuss this week, we're talking about the big two over at DC. One Batman, of course, Superman, the other. Uh, Superman number eight. Uh, this written by Joshua Williamson with art by Gleb Melnikov. Yes. Uh, we haven't talked about Superman this run lately. Um, you know, there was a bunch of new number ones that came through with the Dawn of DC stuff and a couple, two, three of them, this being one of them, uh, I feel as though had their momentum kind of halted a bit because of the, uh, night terror stuff. Totally. Um, for better or for worse, you know, I don't, you know, we don't see sales figures these days. We don't know what, um, you know, those things actually impact in 2023, um, you know, the way that sales are looked at is so different today than it was, you know, five years ago, let alone 15, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. But what I could tell you is this is a good book. You know, it, you know, I always feel that I have to defend Superman, you know, in my reading of a Superman comic, especially like a mainline Superman book. Um, you know, I think Superman is probably like the most unfairly brushed aside uh, he's Superman sort of character oh he's lame he's a boy scout oh he has every power you know so on and so forth and while those are all great arguments those are arguments that i could sweep aside 
when Superman is being written by a really good writer. And that's what's going on here with this Joshua Williamson's uh, run on the book, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the status quo is shaken up with the supporting characters. Jimmy is dating uh, Silver Banshee. Lois is in charge of the Daily Planet because Perry White is running for mayor of Metropolis. Lex is in jail, but he and Clark Superman are working together. Lex has changed all the Lex Corp stuff over to Superman Core and is given like full whatever to Superman. And even eight issues into the story arc, plus the two Night Terror issues, plus an annual, I can't tell you for sure I know what Lex's plan is, right? No. <laughs> it, it certainly seems like it's for good, but it's also Lex Luthor, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but what this current arc is, there is someone that has been chained up, locked up inside of LexCorp for a very long time. Uh, Superman uh, says, well, this can't be, you know, we just can't keep someone prisoner here. And Superman kind of sort of lets him out. And we find out there was a reason that he was being kept out there because he is nigh um, powerful. He has... Um, the pure version of the tactile telekinesis that Lex was able to distill to give to the clone version of Superboy. And we get this character's origin. Like, they, like uh, you know, the, they call him Chained, which is right on the cover. But, like, I don't think that's his, like, superhero or supervillain name, you know? But it will be. It will be. Yeah, right. Um, and this, you know... We get the guy's origin, which I thought was a great like way to kind of put this guy over as a credible threat to Superman. The entire Superman family is there. Superman's strength and heat vision and speed and everything else don't work. He's got to use his smarts and Lex's help, and he does, but at what cost? Yep. I really I'm, like this book a lot. Yeah, go ahead. I'm with you on all of it. And I completely forget, because it's been a long time since I read Superboy, the the uh, the clone version. So I I love that I got my, you know, my uh, update, like my, 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 I relearned about tactical telekinesis. And they explain it really well and how it's juiced to the gills for this guy. Um I love it. And I do, like, in the past issues, like, Superman was busy and he couldn't help Lex. Um, and Lex was attacked and almost killed in prison. And when he meets Superman for the first time, they have their little talk. And he's like, the old Lex would have already, you know, started plotting your demise for letting me down. And it would have an elaborate, you know, plan where you got stabbed in the back. And that that one beat, and then you see the next panel, and it's like Lex looking into the camera and he's like, but now you're dealing with this Lex and I'm completely different. And I'm like, are you Lex Luthor? Are you? But, uh, I know I'm, I'm with, I love it all. And then I love, like you said, the, uh, w- to stop change, uh, something that Superman has to do. And it's, there's ramifications from it. And there's a big like blurb, um, of like what's going to happen next and it's just it's so it would it should be so stupid in 90s if you get my meaning joe but it's not and i'm looking forward to it because it makes once again the logical progression of what happens in this issue superman needs to do this now and i'm like 
okay, sliver of logic makes, you know, the medicine go down easier, as they say. So I'm looking forward to more Superman. And I feel like Rebirth as a whole, uh, or I'm sorry, Dawn of DC as a whole, with a lot of their books, except for maybe one or two, um, have, have like, re- revitalized the DC universe for me. Yeah, you know, we don't get a chance to talk about it as much as we could or should. You know, we talked about Green Lantern last week. I think that's really good. Uh, Titans is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, Nightwing was one of those books that remained untouched, but still has the Dawn of DC logos and, like, trade dress on them and stuff. Right. But that's been, like, awesome for a very long time. And, uh, you know, they're they're relatively new jumping on points, less than a year old. If you, right. you know, want to go get some back issues or sign up for whatever the DC digital service is, you know, go thumb through some of those Donna DC books, you know, right, you'll, be, right. you'll, you'll, I think you'll really enjoy a lot of them. I agree too. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them delivered to your home, whether you're waiting for the trade, the hardcover, etc. Be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. We are currently tied with 33 correct guesses apiece. It's as though we're tied at 100 or tied at zero. Mm-hmm. I'm looking over your list. What's Amazing Spider-Man Gang War First Strike? Um. So... Uh, all it's it's essentially just another issue of Amazing Spider-Man, um, to tie in all the street level people with all the mag magia people. Okay. Um, they were there was like a three issue thing that wrapped up all the, um, Underworld Inferno stuff that just wrapped up. Didn't love it, but Got all of like your hammerheads, your tombstones. Rose, all those sort of people have been like working in the background while Spidey's been doing with this, and this is the kickoff of to that storyline. Right. Okay, I haven't narrowed down to two, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna swing and miss on this one, I think. But is it Howard the Duck number one by Chip Zdarsky? It's not. Okay. Uh I'm getting I'm getting that because it's an anniversary issue. Uh there's a Scotty Young cover. And it's solidarity with uh, young Josh from the comic book shop. There you go. It was just his birthday over the weekend. That's so. right. Happy birthday, Josh. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to guess your book. You never said what yours is. Well, I'm not going to say what my book is. Okay. Because I think the book that I'm going to pick for you uh, is also my book as well. Okay. I think the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Batman Brave and the Bull number seven. It is Batman the Brave and the Bull number seven, even though uh, it will only have a, ch- uh, no, I was going to say Chip Zdarsky, Kyle Stark's uh, short story, like, you know, because yes. uh, it has multiple other stuff. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to Kyle Stark's uh, Wild Dog story. Um, I'm coming for the Kyle Stark story. I'm staying for the Aquaman thing that's in there. Right. The, the main feature. I wish the Wild Dog cover wasn't the incentive one in 25 cover. Right. Um, but I'm excited. This is, you know, uh, the way that Kyle got into comics was doing a wild dog pastiche. And now he gets to write a wild dog story in the pages of a Batman book. That's just wild dog. (laughs) 
What? Uh, so yeah, so that was that's the book I'm most looking right. for. So the book I'm looking for most is uh, Wild Dog. Got it. Yes. Yeah, and me too. Right. So I as well. To use proper grammar, whatever. Uh, so uh, while you're over at LongboxYears.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I are up to, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, and of course the current ongoing. Todd and Joe have issues as we are winding down to the very, very end of the Neil Gaiman run on Sandman. Uh, we are going to be discussing issues one and two of the Dream Hunters. Uh, this is the part of the show where I'm going to lean back and let Todd take things over and I'll chime in every now and then. But I will say this. I have the prose version of this in right. my collection. I do not have the single issues of this in my collection. And this was the first time reading it as a comic book, as opposed to the previous iteration of this. And so that's you, why I chose to re- read this. Right. So you never read this as a comic. You just nope. read it as the prose. Yes. Okay. So you never saw Pete Craig Russell's art, which is beautiful. As, in this. Like, unbelievable. Right. So good to know. I was just curious. Um, I may have it in the original prose. I may have it in the issues. I may have it in a hardcover of the issues. I may have it in an absolute um, I may have it a couple ways, but anyway, I may have it in a masterpiece helm edition too now, Joe. Um, <laughs> oh, by the way, before we get into that, I found out today, um, I asked our good friend Becky while she was at the computer, they still have the regular and the comic uh, shop exclusive available at uh, from DC. So if we can get a good deal on that San Diego Comic-Con one, I'll spring for uh the the comic con or the comic shop exclusive one so i'm looking to see what my uh my uh oh they took away my they took away my offer it was down to below two thousand dollars joe <laughs> for the san diego one um but alas it's gone now so but uh on to dream hunters issue one like as i said neil gaiman p craig russell we're in feudal japan um, and there's this monk who lives in a temple on a mountain and, uh, this badger and this fox, like the sp- spirits, obviously they're, they're talking to each other and they decide, you know, let, let's, whoever gets to run this monk out of town will get to live in his temple. So they decide to take turns, um, uh, of trying to fool him into leaving. And the first, the badger tries first. And he shows it shows up as these people who say that the the emperor has bestowed a great gift on him. He has to go walk and find, you know, the, the talk to him, and you know, good things will happen. He's like, yeah, yeah, great. Uh, how come your horse has a badger tail? And I like that's the cute little things that give, like, and they feel like fairy tales. What gives the, these people away to the monk, these spirit animals? It, it, right. It shows the playfulness. Ma- uh, okay, shows the playfulness of the beginning of the story. It shows the ineptitude, I guess, if you will, of the animals, mm-hmm. and it shows the cleverness of our lead character. Right. So the fox takes a try, and he ends up becoming a beautiful woman, and she says she was with traveling people, and they you know, uh, were overrun by bandits, but she got away, and they're coming. They're definitely coming to the temple first, 
next after the storm clears. Um, and you know, if we get separated, we should go to my father who's the governor of this province and, uh, you should go too. And he's like, oh yeah, definitely. I'm going, you know, um, you know, even though I carried you in here lovingly out of the rain, um, we'll go do that. But, uh, how come you have the eyes of a fox? And the fox got got, so he uh, the fox lost. So and then it goes back and forth a couple of different you know times, and uh, the badger finally tries, and he ends up you know figuring it out, but he ends up running him off with fire and burns him. Uh, and the fox shows up the next day and says, "All right, I'll be honest with you. Me and the badger, we were taking turns. You know, t- says what he was doing, um, and you bested the badger and burned his little tail, and you know he's hightailed it to another providence. But I'd love to stay here. And the monk says, "Listen, you can stay. Just knock it off with your foolishness." You know, so they do, and they live peacefully. You know, coexist, and we find out that the fox, during the time that uh, the fox was a was a, hu- a human in that interaction, the fox fell in love with the monk. Um, and the tale that is to come, and I do like that, is of much misery and heartbreak and a strange journey. And as you look at the things in the next couple of panels, it's all clues as to, you know, how things are going to play out. Um, so the fox is hunting at night or whatever in the forest, and he hears these demon type things saying uh, that we have to go get something from the monk. And, you know, because something's going to happen between our master and this monk. And in the month's time, one of them is going to be dead. Um, so we have to go find it. And it's like, oh, they noticed the dead fox. Um, and they're like, ah, pshaw, it's just a dead fox. Um, and they end up, you know, uh, doing the monologue of their plan that uh, the what's going to happen is the, the monk's going to dream of a small box the first night. The second night, he's going to dream of a key. The third night, he's going to unlock the box. Um, and then he'll be trapped in dreams and he'll, his body will slowly wither and die. Um, and it will not be traced back or on the conscience of our, our master. They're like, well, aren't we worried about being overheard? One of the demons says like, no, um, because if anybody who hears and they kind of like look at the, the Fox, uh, even if they were alive, um, if they mention one word of this, their heart will burst in their chest before they even, you know, finish the sentence. Um, so there's no way the monk, you know, survive this, you know, maybe there's one way, but that kind of leads, gives the Fox the idea we'll figure out, I, I, I can figure this out, but I can't tell the monk because I'll die. Um, so the Fox goes and gets its most treasured possession, which is a Jade, uh, dragon with Ruby eyes. Um, and he, they take it and throws it into the sea and, you know, ask for a way to save, you know, uh, they're mad, their friend in dreams and he ends up meeting Morpheus in like a Fox version, kind of like with the cat met the cat version. And, uh, and he ends up like saying like, thank you for your gift. And he's like, well, what was it? He's like, it was a, it was a treasure of a friend of mine and, and you throwing in the ocean. Now it will wash back to him and it will be, uh, you know, his greatest thing, very peaceful. And he's like, Oh, well, I'm glad to be, uh, you know, service to your friend. And they see some of these animals. And they're like, what are those? And they're like, those are Baku. They're dream eaters. If you have a bad dream, you know, you hope that one of them is nearby. And uh, when you wake up, they hope that they'll take, if it's a bad dream and it foretells uh, bad uh, news, that they'll they'll take them. And he's like, hmm, well, I summoned you to help, you know, save my friend from, you know, bad dreams. Maybe I can, you know, uh, 
capture one of those. They're like, nope, they're crafty. You're never, you know, you're never getting. He's like, but I'm also, I'm a fox. I'm, I'm pretty crafty. Um, and that's when like Morpheus as a fox realizes what's going on and says that you're a fox and he, the monk's a human. These things rarely end well. Um, and, you know, the fox is going to plead his case, but Morpheus kind of leaves. And in a great, like, Pete Craig Russell transition, which was probably in the prose, I'd have to go back and read it, where you see the curl of his, uh, the fox's tail, uh, the Morpheus fox, which is white while the rest of them is black. It looks like the crescent moon that becomes the crescent moon in the sky. Like, one of my favorite little, like, transitions, you know, in Sandman comics. Um, and the fox is, like, you know, talking to the, the moon that left, and he's like, I can be crafty. I can be brave and I would die for him. And that's when, you know, the, the, the Fox was starting to, to fall asleep and he hears in Morpheus's Fox voice, then catch his dream child. And the Fox awoke. And that's like a, a touching little thing. I like the way P Craig Russell draws the Fox soft and cute and all this stuff. Um, just a, this is the most fairy tale of the Sandman stories that we've read. I believe. Okay, so most fairy tale, and we still got three more issues, one this week, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, most fairy tale, but not so overwhelming. You know, it's very say, simple. Yes, it's a very simple, it's a very straightforward tale. We say fairy tale, but maybe more of a fable than anything else. Fair right? enough, fair enough, yeah. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's it's rooted in... You know, Asian folklore as well. You know, I'm sure if you're a little bit more schooled in that sort of stuff, and we'll get into a little, little bit of that more with the next issue, but I think that kind of helps as well, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is funny, too, because I don't know if it's in this, in the afterwards where, like, um, there's all these, like, fables and tales that Neil said in the foreword in the hardcover of the prose that, like, yeah, I found these old texts, these Japanese texts of, like, the stories of this and like various scholars heard about this and contact him. He's like, I made all this stuff up. Like that's like an artist, uh, a writer's, uh, you know, just flourishment in the foreword and stuff like that. And I was like, all right, that's pretty funny. If you, if you did these tales so well that you fooled, you know, scholars. Um, so that's fun. Um, on to the second issue. Uh, you know, they're once again, you know, the Fox and the monk are living together, having a good old time. Um, and like the Fox kind of wishes him well dreams. And he's like, ah, I don't know my dreams will be good or otherwise, but thank you. And the, the Fox says, I'll be nearby if you need me cut to, you know, Providence, uh, kind of not too far away. And there's the master of the, of the Providence and he's doing spell maybe and they have all these things and you see the black box and the key obviously from the dream and a couple of plates with stuff on it and one empty and we begin to get his backstory where he's you know a powerful man but he's not happy um even though his life should be the best they describe he's got a wife and a mistress and they both get along and live under the same roof and he lives in this. I love that he lives in the 17th finest house in his Providence. Um, he can control like, you know, uh, mystical creatures. He can remember his past lives. Um, he's done all this and uh, he's respected. He's feared by those below him. He's respected by those above him. Um, but he's constantly afraid. Um, and that's the gist of it. I'm not going to go into it. He's like, he's afraid and he's always trying to find a way around it. And he even thinks if I can murder everybody on this planet, maybe the fear will go away. But 
I doubt it. And they talk that he has this house on the outskirts of his Providence where these three uh, ladies live. Mm. And, mm, I wonder if there's a young one, a middle-aged one, and an old one, Joe. I wonder who they could be. Oh, whenever there's three ladies in a Sandman story uh, and an attorney calls, it must be bad, I'll just say. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Basically, he you know he kind of visits them and stuff. And before the spell, that's a little earlier in the book, as we say, he goes and visits them, and he asks them like, "Why I have no peace?" And I do like the one witch's line: "It's because you are alive." Joe, that's one of the most uh, thoughtful, provoking uh, lines in comics I've ever read. Um, and he asks them like, "Well, how can I know peace?" Um, and they say, "There's the monk, the monk that we we go, and he kind of lives his life with no fear." Um, I can weave a spell and a, and a like tapestry that will, if he, if I do it within a month, he has to be dead and you will get all this peacefulness. Um, but if not, you know, you're the one to, you know, uh, be, have maybe some problems, but you can't have any, can't have any violence or pain. And that's why, you know, uh, the, the demon said like, oh, like we can't like have it go back to him. And he's like, okay, we'll do this. And she comes back with the tapestry, and it's got a picture of the this guy, the the leader of the province, and the monk. He's like, okay. He doesn't thank them because he knows that's you know bad fortune. He pays them, um, and he goes back, and we see you know how they uh, back from last issue. The demons go and meet the fox, and that's all there. And they're there to get a piece of the monk's shadow. So there's a cool shot of the uh, the demon ripping the the shadow on the ground. Um, so they end up using he ends up using that and the the various things on the plates. And he sees does the spell and he sees that the the tapestry has a dark patch over the the monk's face. And now it's only a matter of time. And briefly, the guy was content. You know, not saying he doesn't have fear, but he has content. So the first night, the monk dreams of his father who is disgraced in a in a great shot of we don't get a lot of whites and reds in this story so far. So the shot of him remembering his house and his father disgraced and, you know, uh, being hung um, is a is a beautiful shot, even though it's very macabre. And the father ends up handing him the black box and he tries to open it, but he can't. And while he's dreaming, um, maybe there's a fox's tail in the background, Joe. Um, and he wakes it up and he's like, oh, that was weird. If it's an evil dream, may the Baku take it, as they say uh, earlier in the in the story. And the second night, um, he dreams of his grandfather who died on an unripe uh, peach pit. Um, that's, you know, not good luck in this family, Joe. Um, and the grandfather hands him the black key and he dreams of it. And he's like, he kind of wakes up and he feels that the eyes of the fox were on him. And it was because the little fox is there. Um, the next day you, the, the, you mentioned before so it's a little more noticeable in the first dream that the fox is there um, it, it's a little less noticeable in the second right um, well again a little less at first but then it becomes much more apparent right but yes yeah, so right. the fox is there in both yes mm-hmm so now it's the night, the big night where he's going to, you know, use the bo- the key to unlock the box in his dream. And he just has a, 
uh, a good night's sleep and, you know, the, the, the days of dark dreams are done with, he even says. But then as he's leaving his temple, the fox is on his uh, doorstep and he thinks it's dead, but he realizes it's not. It's just, you know, lifeless, like in you know, deep slumber or not awaking. And he was like, oh, so he like prays for it and everything. And he ends up, you know, telling the, the fox while it's asleep a story about how before his father was disgraced, as we saw in the dream earlier, that he would go to the market and he would see all these animals in cages and it made him sad um, to see animals captured like that. But he found a monkey much in the same way, like, but he realized it wasn't dead, it was alive. So he nursed it back to health. And one day while he was at the house, a Lord came to see his father and the monkey just wanted nothing to do with him and like was like howling at him and hissing. So, you know, Lord being who he was, he's like, kill that monkey. So they do. And the kid, the kid was sad and he was like, oh, um, but, you know, you don't mess with the, the Lord higher than his father. Um, and later when I found out, he goes, I found out that when my father was dis- disgraced, it was all the machinations of this Lord. Um, so I believe that the monkey was trying to protect me, but I was too dumb to listen. And he's like, perhaps you, Fox, with all your tricks, also wish to protect me. So he, you know, once again, like, prays, does stuff. He carries the fox down the mountain, uh, you know, to see if he can find help. And he ends up finding this old man with a stick and asking what he's carrying. Is it a dead animal? That's unclean. Um, And then he just starts, like, you know, attacking the monk with the stick, like, you know, saying that's for meddling in foxes, you know, fox spirits, that's for deserting your temple. Um, he's like, it's not dead. I'm looking, it's asleep and I'm looking for a cure for her. And he's like, oh, you're, you're dumb. The only thing that you could do is return to your temple with the fox and sleep with the token of the king of all nights dreaming beneath your head for it's dreams that your little fox girl is trapped. He's like, ah, uh, if I ask you a question, will you not hit me with the stick? Uh, how do I... <laughs> How do I find one of these tokens? And it looks like the guy takes pity on him. And he says, uh, he's like, here. And he gives him like this parchment, this long scrolling parchment. He's like, here, um, you know, uh, you're still a fool. The fox will die. There's nothing you can do, uh, whether or not your motives are pure or not. So he was going to ask him why he had given it to him if he did. But he had disappeared when he wasn't looking. He says that it's probably this person from their tales or like mythology i don't really know the the character um but he's like okay well at least this is a shot and he goes to he goes up to his temple and there's a cool shot where he's getting ready like you know he's praying in front of his fire he's getting ready to do the thing and he feels like there's something missing in his life and the shot of him with this with the shadow behind him with the terror from where they stole the bit of shadow which is in the exact spot they showed it was torn from earlier in the story. That's a really great shot. And it's very, very eerie. Um, and finally he's like, okay, I'm ready to go to bed. He gets the, the parchment. He tries to read it. It makes no sense to him. He's like, all right, I'll do the thing. The guy told me, um, he puts the Fox in the robe to keep her warm. He goes to sleep. Um, it just says at the end he slept and the shot of him falling asleep with the fox on his chest is one of the cutest, nicest things. If you've ever loved an animal in your entire life, um, you've you've kind of laid with your eyes closed with a puppy or a cat. That's willing because cats are notorious. Um, 
like laying on your chest. And I really like that last panel by P. Craig Russell. Uh, yeah, you know, we mentioned before the art in this is gorgeous. Um, I, I think, you know, having read the prose, this obviously works better as a comic book. Right. Not, you know, because, you know, obviously a lot of the visuals of everything there are worked out for you so you could focus more on the story of everything. And, you know, we got our first issue to kind of set things up. That's more of a light fable. Mm-hmm. Whereas issue two now, uh, things are getting a little bit more dark. Yeah, because the fairy tales slash fables, you know, they used uh, a lot of dark stuff. They were going to burn Hansel and Gretel alive, Joe. Usually they're not fun stories. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, there's really good stuff. Um, you know, definitely, um, no, uh, Morpheus in this issue. There was Morpheus in issue one. There was none in issue two. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do still get, um, at least on some of the title pages, uh, uh, P. Craig Russell drawing the Morpheus that we know, uh, you know, in full, beautifully done. Just to get those shots in there, of course, to sell some stuff. Right. It's really a good book. You know, I I think, and even without the Sandman mythos, at least this far into it in my re-remembering of this re-read, you don't need to have really read any of the other Sandman stuff before it. No, I mean, it's on its own, which it I think if, is a benefit to it, you know? Right. If you know, it's better because you know who the three witches are, you know? Yeah. Yep. But otherwise, it's all like, okay, this is a story, just somebody coming, pleading to the God of Dreams to help save their, their monk buddy. That's all it is. It's a real, it's a very straightforward story. Um, I wonder if it's, I'd have to reread the prose. I wonder if, because there's a lot of detail you could put in a prose book that would be like the descriptive stuff. That's there because now P. Craig's doing the art. You don't need it. So I don't know if it's a I had denser read in the prose. It's been a long time since I read the prose. Right, right. And I don't see me going back anytime soon. So absolutely. Um, so we got the last two issues of this, three and four for next week, right? Yep. 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 Uh also pigskin pickums. We send out yep. the reminder every week. Don't forget to do your picks. Uh, everything is as it should be. Todd is in that group of people tied for sixth place. I'm in 18th place. By the by, the end of the season, I should be on the second page of people, right? I don't know. You may you may have a surge, Joe, before mm-hmm. it's all over. We'll just see. That's Dixie's husband. But anyway, I don't know who that is. Uh, while you're over at Longbox Heroes, of course, uh, be sure to check out our store. Get shirts and pins and stickers. With our fancy logos on them, uh, shoot me an email. We'll work something out. Uh, the sale is still going on, but as we record this, and as you're probably listening to this, the window for the 40% off is closed, but there is still a window for the rest of November for 35% off of everything over at our T Public store. Uh, that is linked up in the show notes to every single one of these posts. Uh, you could also help us out by making any and all of your purchases through our eBay affiliate link. Uh, this page contains affiliate links for eBay. We may receive a small commission for purchases you make. You could use this affiliate link anytime you want to buy anything on eBay and support the show at the same time. Yeah. Uh, but most importantly, I think the best bang for your buck would be our Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash longboxheroes. For as little as a dollar a month, you're going to get two bonus shows every month from Todd and myself. 
You're going to get comic book oddities. And if you listen to After Dark last week, we laid out the next two to three years of comic book oddities that we're going to be doing over on the Patreon. That's a lot of comic book oddities, Joe. That certainly is. And, uh, of course, we have Previewing the Past, where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog to look like to look at what the world of comics looked like 30 years ago. Uh, I might have dropped a page or two in the uh, Discord this week with this couple free pages that are up on the Patreon that you don't have to pay for. But as part of your subscription to the Patreon, whether you're at the dollar level, the $5 level, anywhere in between, you get the full scans expertly done of those previous catalogs dating all the way back to 1990. That's a lot of listening to podcasts. I know people podcast time might get cut down if you're like me and you've cut most TV shows out of your life. All you do is listen to podcasts. But, you know, you could look at pictures. You could remember, I got into comics in 1991. I have some comics from 1992. I want to go look at the what the world of the comic book industry looked like back then. It's all available there for you on our Patreon. Um, and like I said, the $5 level is going to get you those bonus shows two weeks before everyone else. And it's going to get you Longbox Heroes After Dark two days before everyone else. So you can listen to these shows in the correct listening order. Right. Uh, so, um, I think that's it there. And all we have to talk about TV-wise is uh, the Doctor Who special. The Star Beast, as it yep. was called. Yes. The first of three for the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who, Joe. Yes. Uh, your favorite part of the show. Would you like me to take this part of the show? Because I know you're very excited to talk about this. But I feel we should rein you in and just give you the... You could just chime in occasionally. Go for it. All right. Um, so obviously the, the the doctor has uh, regenerated back into the tenth doctor, but he's still the fourteenth doctor. Very confusing. Um, and he returns to London with the TARDIS, and he comes out, and he runs into Donna Noble, one of his past uh, uh, companions. And they kind of do it in the beginning, like the the, the the pre stuff that like she can't really know about him because of what happened when they left. That she's had the doctor and energy infused in him, and if she remembers him, she's gonna burn. But he's kind of confused when she sees his face, and he you know he doesn't. Uh, she doesn't immediately start uh, going back to that kind of a deal. Um, and we find out that he did. Uh, Donna's got a teenage transgender daughter named Rose. And there's all these bits that are going on. And Tennant keeps doing his classic what line, which is what happened when he first met Donna Noble all those years ago. Um, and while this is all going on, a spaceship is crashing into the Earth. And Donna doesn't even notice it, which is kind of like her character. Um, and he, uh, the doctor ends up asking somebody to give him a ride in their cab. And that's Donna's husband of all people. And he kind of takes the doctor to where the spaceship lands. Um, while he's there, the doctor is, you know, analyzing the spaceship because it landed in this steel mill and he's using his new Disney infused money screwdriver, sonic screwdriver, because now the sonic screwdriver can do all these sorts of cool things that it couldn't do before because the BBC didn't have the money. Now it could do <laughs> big, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, like computer hanging in air, that whole thing, like holographic images. And later on it makes uh, force fields. And I'm like, okay, 
I could see where some of this this money is going. And he ends up meeting uh, the new unit scientist, who's unit scientist like fifty, the specialist fifty three, and uh, he's like, "That's interesting. I was the first one." Um, so they- and, uh, just to interject there, and you know, just as I'm remembering it when they're having their little back and forth and she goes, Oh, I know. She goes, I'm going to get a raise. Just talking to you. <laughs> you get the bag. If you meet the doctor, Joe, right. Um, and she is in a wheelchair, which, uh, you know, is, is, is like, so we, we know that character is like that. So as this goes on, they end up having a conversation about like why his face is an old face. And he's like, there's gotta be something. Nothing is ever coincidence in my life. Um, so they're like, oh, well, also something happened while the ship was crashing. It sent out a life pod or something, and that's in town. So the doctor ends up hitching a ride when she sends, like, the unit people who are there to investigate to that. And I do like the bit of him jumping in the truck and, like, waving. Just all nonchalant for the doctor. He's very James Bondy cool um, the way he does stuff. Um, so back at... You know, the, the town where Rose and uh, Donna are from. Uh, Rose, you know, gets some grief from young bullies about being transgender. Um, and she ends up talking to Donna about it. And I do like the bit, like, I, I got no problem with the transgender stuff in all of this. I love the fact that when Donna talks to Rose, it's like, who did it? And if anybody ever... Uh, you know, hurts you again in any way, not just that way. I will descend upon them. The fact that, like, the thing that I like about Doctor Who is, like, Rose loves her daughter unconditionally. And it's established right in the scene. I know it's tough. She's like, but she she talks to him. And the grandmother's having a harder problem because she's older, like, adjusting to it because she keeps, you know, making mistakes. And I like that. It's As you get closer to Rose's generation, it's easier to understand and everything like that. So I was, I was fine with, with, with uh, a lot of that. Um, so they end up finding uh, that the escape pod was this creature and Donna ends up, fi- not Donna, uh, Rose ends up finding it and takes it back to her shed. And it's the meep who's this cutesy Disney plush Joe who I hated right off the rip. And I was like, Disney's ruining my doctor who, um, <laughs> They're doing it like they gave him all this money and they told him, well, you could do whatever you want. And uh, but you need to give us one cute character to sell in our Disney parks or whatever. And they end up having this touching moment where the meep is like, oh, there's the the wrath is after me for my fur and I'm different and you're different, Rose. And together we can be friends. And it's all super cuddly and just ham fisted and terrible. But, Joe, I think something's up with the meep. Wink, right? So um, the doctor comes back to town and ends up, uh, there's like the unit squad arrives uh, back at, I'm sorry, where the, the ship, and they end up getting controlled by something that's in the ship, this like colorful light beam, and it ends up, uh, you know, hypnotizing them. And they go looking for uh, the meep. Um, the doctor ends up in the house uh, with Donna and them and the mother's like you we know you've told us you can't be near her or she'll burn and he's like well technically she can't not that she can't see me she just can't remember me and it's been 15 years so um and we find out that she gave up the lottery money that the doctor give her, gave her on her wedding day 
So while they're all kind of talking and they're working things out with the Meep and the Meep saying, I'm wanted for my fur by the wrath. Um, the unit shows up and they're thugs, which they're normally not. And they end up trying to take the house, start shooting at the doctor and them. Then these beetle like people, which are the wrath show up and they start fighting the, the hypnotized unit people. Doctor uses his sonic screwdriver to do more Disney infused money stuff. They get away, but as they're getting away, doctor's starting to put some things together that something's not right. Like the, the cab that they're in is getting hit. And uh, something's up. So they go and they stop in a car park. And he's like, all right, out. It's time for me to do some of my Doctor who stuff. And it's Joe's favorite part of the show where the doctor's like, he calls out the shadow proclamation, which is a bit from the show, maybe before uh, Joe's time. And he calls all the people and they show up, the Meep and the, the Wrath. And he's like, oh, you're using stun guns. The unit people aren't dead. The car isn't damaged. What's going on? And that's when the wrath and he has a wig on, Joe. I don't know if did you notice that that he put a wig on? Yes, he was wearing a judicial type thing, sure. Which was probably the fourth doctor's wig. Did you see my picture on X today, Joe? Mm-hmm. I don't think it was the exact wig. The fourth doctor's got a pretty uh substantial melon, you know? True, but he had very bohemian hair, as they used to say. Uh, um so he they end up finding out that the meep is really the bad guy. They're not after his fur. Um, their star went Nova or whatever and mutated the Meeps, made them evil. They ate people. The Wrath are the good guys. The Meeps are the, the baddies. Um, and he ends up killing the two Wrath guys. And all the people take, uh, all the Meeps people, uh, unit people take uh, them all hostage. And he does end up calling Rose a freak, your little freak daughter. That's not a good thing to, to tell Donna. So they go back to the ship. Um, she's going to take off. Doctor realizes it's a bad thing if this, this ship takes off. It's a dagger drive. It's going to destroy uh, millions of people in London. Um, but luckily, the unit uh, person in the wheelchair shows up. And she saves them with all their electronic gadgets and rockets and stuff. But I noticed they didn't put any... Uh, Dalek hover stuff in it. I think they would have stole some of that for her, but alas, they didn't. They get away. The doctor's like, I'm going to stop the ship. Donna, you take your family and go. I'm going to run. And I like when this is when Donna starts to see him running and starts remembering. She goes off with them. They're, they end up you know, being trapped in two different rooms on the ship trying to stop it, which is a throwback to when the doctor died with her grandfather, who's still alive, by the way. Um, and they, he goes, we could fix this. We could save your daughter, but you have to die. And the, the why I love this show also is Donna goes, yes, without hesitation, to save my family and all these people, I will die. And these, that's why the doctor takes these people on the trip with them. Uh, and because he knows that he's a good judge of character. They're good people. He's like, what do I have to do? He, he goes, I have to turn you back into the Dr. Donna. And he winter soldiers her. With his, like, you know, code words, they end up stopping the ship that's going to destroy uh, the thing. And she's going to descend on the Meep because she, he, the Meep hurt her daughter. Love that. But she ends up dying from the thing. But she doesn't because she had a daughter and the daughter's, they're binary like the daughter. And she ends up pushing the doctor's energy into two people, which she can survive um, and they end up, 
uh, capturing the meep, disposing of the energy. The meep says, well, you know, one two-hearted person to another two-hearted person. Um, watch out for my boss because he's a coming um, when I talk to him. And they take him off into space. And now the doctor and Donna are going to go and have one last adventure to see Donna's grandfather. Um, but the new TARDIS, which I love the new, the new TARDIS looks awesome. Go off. And, uh, but she spills coffee on the, the TARDIS controller and they, they could end up anywhere. I don't think they're going to end up at Wilf's, uh, apartment, Joe. I think they could go anywhere. (laughs) So this was fine. I knew you weren't going to like, love it. Love it. So I like, so let's say I like the A story with the meep and the people coming to look for the meep. Right. Mm -hmm, Right. Um, you know, obviously the meep, as you mentioned, is set up that he's supposed to be annoying and unlikable. Uh, you know, you'd mentioned, I think the bit where he's hiding in with the stuffed animals, which we'll get to as well. Uh, hiding with the stuffed animals and they do like the ET bit. Right. Donna is like, wait a minute, that thing blinked. And then she goes over and they do like an act break or a scene cut with her, like sticking her finger into the meeps eye. Right. Which was a great moment. But, um, and I'm like, okay, mm, there's going to be some sort of fake out. I like the look of the meep character, especially when it became more evil with the vicious teeth and the slight furrowing of the brow, as opposed to the meek version of the meep. Oh, the cutesy meep. Oh. Yes. Uh, I thought the things that were coming to look for the meep were like what the parademons should have looked like in the, 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 the justice league, uh, live action movie. Definitely a a, a a hard uh, a parademon look. Yeah. And then that part of the adventure I liked quite a bit. The stuff that goes on the lore of Doctor Who itself, specifically this Doctor and this companion, mm-hmm. they do the bit at the beginning where they're like, all right, we're going to give you this little bit here at the beginning. We're going to try to fill you in, right? Right. But there was so much lore in this. It wasn't enough at the beginning. If I was, was going to ask you that because I was, was great with it, but go right. ahead. I, I'd never seen this iteration of the doctor's stuff, or if I have, I haven't seen like the stuff that led us to this particular point that they're referring to. Right. And then like he shows the doctor shows up at the house and the grandmother remembers him. And then he, like this thing with the lottery winnings and she gives it all away. And there was so much of that lore from these two particular characters from their particular season that if they leaned less on that and just what they referred to in the opening part of the show, it wouldn't feel it wouldn't have felt as like so much to someone like me who's never seen this sort of stuff. Right. But I think they good, did a good enough job of building up the significance of Donna and Rose. Now there's a bit at the beginning where the doctor hears that Donna's daughter's name is Rose and he has like a weird adverse reaction to it. Right. Why? Okay. Well, it's not so much that because he doesn't know it's the daughter yet. You know what I'm saying? Um, but he's talking to Donna and he's like, what? I'm talking to this. And he goes, and he, she goes, Rose, Rose, come here. Rose was the first companion, uh, for the new run of Dr. Who. That's the one that ended up, you know, getting shunted to another earth. 
and they were he was kind of in love with her, but then he couldn't get to her in another universe. And they ended up meeting her one last time um with donna so but donna doesn't remember that so rose is he thinks it's not rose the daughter he thinks it's rose tyler from the first two seasons and he's like wait a minute this is getting out of control and if i i would have been freaked out by it too if they didn't give in the press releases that donna's daughter is named rose and it's a leftover bit of her merging with the doctor. That's why she names him. Cause she even says like gave up the lottery ticket because people needed help. That was a part of you, you know, infused in me. And she does the uh, different things. And even the stuffed animals that Rose made yes. were all the creatures that Donna met over the course of her life, which I thought that was really cool because they kind of slipped them in without me knowing, you know what I mean? And then they give you the reveal at the end where like they show the close-ups of the things and like have the like the sample of like the voice or the whatever right. for them. Mm-hmm. So again, like it's good Easter egg for the folks that would have picked up on it or maybe missed it. They're like, hey, go back and look. Or the people like me that have a tertiary knowledge of this Doctor Who nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I I think if you know if it was just the Meep stuff, I would have enjoyed it more. If I had seen this era, this iteration of the Doctor, I would have enjoyed it more. But it was fine. It's not like it right. was bad. It's not like well, it's low rent or trash. It you know, looked TV. really good, though. Yeah. It, like, I mean, you've watched some of the newer Doctor Who when we were doing uh, Who versus, uh, you know, Doctor Who. Um, but like, you we could did see- the last three seasons as part of the regular true, show. True, I forgot about that. But what I mean is, you could see the uptick in quality. On the, uh, you know, in the, like the, the effects at least, you know what I mean? I was like, I loved it so much that it was like, this show's getting some money, you know? I, I was a little concerned because the way that you were saying it during like your rundown of the show made it seem very almost condescending in a way no. that you're like, oh, and here's the Disney money fancying up my Doctor Who. No, no, I, I, you know? No, I, I, you know, just because I'm reading my notes and maybe I screwed it up, but, uh, no, I was, I was, I, I love the new Sonic screwdriver, what it can do and everything like that. I was like, it's a lot of fun. Um, I like that, you know, they mentioned that the great, when he thought the grandfather was dead, who's one of my favorite characters, Wilf, um, he's like, oh no, he's not dead. He just can't do stairs. So that's who they're going to meet. So I'm hoping he does end up showing up. And I like the fact that because Donna and the doctor were ne- like, they had different companions who did, uh, you know, kind of a, like do- the doctor and the original Rose, they kind of loved each other, but the doctor could never admit it because he was hurt from the time war and losing all his people. Then this next companion loved the doctor, but he didn't love her back. So she left and then Donna showed up and Donna was just his friend. So I always loved that bit. That they're, like after the two romances, that she didn't. And when she tells the husband that, like, I, aren't you worried about me being all alone in this small box with this handsome man? He goes, nah, I don't, not that one. No, not him. And it's because I'm just calling my shot. When the doctor met her the first time, she was getting married to another black gentleman, but he turned out to be the, like, part of the villain of the show. So they broke up. So then she ended up marrying another. Uh, she ended up dating and marrying this black guy and I like him going, no, no, I don't think that guy is going to be a problem. You can go off with him knowing that he's going to regenerate into, uh, the new doctor. Who's all, who's, who's now black. 
I have a feeling that, that that's when this husband's going to have a problem. So I'm calling my shot. It's going to be like, oh, you were gone with this doctor? No, no, no. Like, you don't get to travel with him anymore. Um, I don't know. That's just my dream booking right there. So <laughs> anyway, I really, really liked it. I hear rumors that that was the nostalgia issue to bridge us into what Russell T. Davies has planned for this new run. Okay. That's going to have a different feel. So that's like, oh, okay, all you people can't complain. I gave all the old fans what you want. Now I'm going to try my new feel and see how you like it. But hopefully the nostalgia will spill over. I don't know that for a fact. Those are the rumors that I've heard. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to see where the second episode goes. I can't imagine what Doctor Who Twitter looks like. Um, It's very nice. It's very nice. Nobody complained about Rose at all. Um, and Don't look that up, by the way. <laughs> I was going to say, that feels like another lie. But... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but. No, listen, I, you know, we, we may have mentioned uh, much earlier uh, off mic and all of this. If I was not like at least somewhat enjoying these or didn't feel like it was a waste of my time, mm-hmm. I'd find an excuse for us not to talk about Doctor Who on the show. Right. And I'm actually thinking about giving you an out after these next two episodes. Well, when does the next season start after these next two episodes? I don't think until Christmas of next year. We could cross that. We got a year to think about that, Todd. All right. We'll see how you feel about the next two episodes and then we'll go. I actually don't know. I have to look that up because they keep saying like they do know when it's going to start and they don't. But anyway. Yeah. These BBC shows just come on and come off whenever they want to. Right. There's no rhyme or reason to any of it. Yeah. The Blorgons made a mess of it. Yes. All right. Well, I think that's enough for show this week, huh? Yeah. It was a short show, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not looking at the time yet, but I'm going to wrap things up for episode 686 of long box heroes for Todd. This is Joe saying, thank you everyone for listening and we will see you all here next week. Remember be a faucet, not a drain. Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.